0: Well, hey, good morning, City Light Lincoln Church good to see you guys. My name is Austin, one of the pastors here, and uh, so excited to be in the room with all of you today. We are uh, kicking off our new series, walking through the book of Jonah. So we're going to spend seven or eight weeks through this book, and uh, if you know anything about Jonah, you probably know that he was swallowed by a fish for three days, and that's kind of the, you know, the point of this story, but it's not the point of the story. It's part of the story, but uh, we're going to see, we, we titled this uh, Relentless God in Rebellious People. See, this story is far more than Jonah. being swallowed by a fish. It's about uh, rebellious people over and over and over again, so many different groups of them, and a relentless God that runs towards these people so often. It's absolutely beautiful. So Jonah has been wrecking my heart and my life, and I'm excited. Hopefully the Word of God does that to you this morning as well and brings encouragement and conviction. So uh, really, really excited. So if you guys want to open up your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1, easiest way to find Jonah is just find Obadiah, and then it's the next book. You're like uh, I don't know where I don't know where Obi I is either. I'm gonna be honest with you. So uh, you'll, you'll, you'll find it eventually. But as you're getting there, uh, my question for you guys is: um, How many of you just by show of hands have? A child uh, from the age of one to five. Just shoot up your hand if you currently have a child from the age of one to five. Okay, awesome. Uh, I have a little daughter named Gracelyn, and I love her. She's absolutely beautiful. She uh, has her mom's face and her dad's body, and, uh, you know, she just like, she's got thick legs, you know, and so... Um, <laughs> She's uh, she's got blue eyes, beautiful blue eyes. She got dark wavy hair, olive complexion. She loves being outside or playing in the water. She adores every animal and waves at them, thinking they're going to wave back. Like I don't know why, you know. But she does that. She um, is fearless. Like she'll do anything, um, which is just so fun to see. She doesn't like being away from my wife. Kristen, or I, and uh, oh yeah, but she, she's really good at saying no. You know, she's like very, very good at saying no. And uh, if, you, if you're a parent of a, or have been a parent of a kid that's one to five, you know like this is the reality, right? It just like happens. They're so good at saying no. And the hardest thing about this season is that they actually know what no means, Right? Like, they might not have the rationale to like understand why we're saying no, but they know that when we say no, it means stop doing what you're doing, and yet they keep doing it and keep saying no. So, I have a little video to show you guys of my daughter and I. Hey, young lady. Hey, no, no. Come here. No. Come here, you little turkey. Gracie. Kisses. No, don't put that in. <laughs> you're so cute. Hey, come here. Hey. <laughs> she runs faster. <laughs> you come over here. <laughs> yeah, so that's Grace Uh so, You know, every parent has like kind of vo- like, weird voices. They talk to their kids. Mine is just a weird, crazy, creepy old lady. You know, I don't know why I talk in that voice. I asked my wife, I was like, should I show them? They're like, They're, if they don't know you're weird, they'll know now, you know, so that's who I am. So anyways, uh, but it's just so funny. And, and here's the crazy thing that strikes me about that. Is that, like I've never had to taught my, teach my daughter how to disobey, right? Like, I, like my wife and I don't get done like, reading her stories at, at night and teaching her animal sounds like, hey, Gracie, can you say no? Can, can you say no? You know, here's how you disobey. Congrats on walking. Now let's see how you can disobey. No, like we've never taught her that, but it's so natural in her. And I've realized it's natural in us, right? We're really good at saying no. We're really good at running away and disobeying. It's just who we, we are, right? And, uh, and I'd say we have, we have a disposition towards disobedience. Like that's just where we tend. And, and so here's why this morning matters. Maybe even here's how This book, Jonah, here's why Jonah matters is that this book in the story of Jonah will function as a mirror for us right? As we see his story, as we look at Jonah's story and his disobedience and his running away, it should look familiar. And this story shouldn't make us point fingers at Jonah. It should make, it should convict us that we are Jonah, right? Like we've all ran away and we've all failed and we've all rebelled, not just from our parents, but from the holy, loving, righteous God of the universe, right? Like we all are Jonah. And so this morning I want us to look at our beautiful, merciful, gracious God and wrestle with why we're so prone to telling him no. Okay, so that's where we're going to be this morning. So you can jump in. We'll just read verses one and two first and look at the beginning of the story. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call it against it, for their evil is come up before me. So my first point simply is God says go. God says go. Now, verse one says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And uh, it's important for us to understand that uh, throughout the Bible, God would speak to his prophets, uh, and the prophets would relay a message to people, right? So, uh, you know, God would say, hey, I I want this to happen, or say this, and the prophet would go and relay the message. Essentially, a prophet is God's mouthpiece, right? One of his ways he'd communicate with his people. And so all throughout the Bible, he'd speak to his prophets, and the prophets would uh, warn people, encourage people, or tell them of what's To come, right? So that's kind of what a prophet is, and Jonah is a prophet. And God comes to Jonah with a specific message. Now, all we know about Jonah is that um, he is a prophet. He's the son of Amittai, and back in 2 Kings 14.25, God actually uses him as a prophet to restore the border of Israel. So before this moment, before this story of Jonah, Jonah's already been used as a prophet, and he's been successful, right? God has given him a message. He relayed it and was successful, right? But as we'll see in this story, the the message and the recipients are very different than his first time, okay? So verse 2 says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. All right, remember, 2 Kings 14. Jonah is called to go to the Israelites, like his people, right? God's people, and tell a message. So that's the first one, right? But this message is supposed to go to the Ninevites. Well, who, who are the Ninevites, right? Well, uh, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. Now, if you if kind of know some Old Testament kind of history, and you're reading through this, it's like you constantly have Israel, God's people, in battle with Assyrians, right? So literally, Assyrians and Israel like enemies, right? And so God calls Jonah to go to the capital of the nation, that has plagued them and brought war against them and says, hey, I want you to go and tell them a message, right? Like this is kind of crazy, right? So go go here. And uh, Oh, and by the way, when Jonah helped God's people restore the border back in 2 Kings, uh, guess who the people were threatening the border? The Assyrians, right? The Ninevites, right? So it's like you just see this clash of what's happening. And so the Assyrians at this time are literally the most a powerful country or nation, uh, to the known world. Like that's just who they are. And, um, they didn't worship God. They hated God and hated God's people. And a lot of times when you, if you've heard the story of Jonah, people like to, um, relate it to modern day Las Vegas, right? Just to give a contextual reality, like this is like Las Vegas. And, and that's partially true. Like it is like Nineveh was, was rampant with sexual sin. There was all that going on. Uh, Nineveh was known for this like kind of huge, big, uh, distinct culture, uh, if you guys, this is kind of a fun fact, Nineveh actually was, uh, coined the phrase, what happens in Nineveh stays in Nineveh. So uh, I'm just <laughs> kidding. That didn't happen. But, but here, here's, here, here's where that comparison falls short. Danger, right? Like, like Nineveh wasn't only a sexually perverted city like Las Vegas. It was a dangerous city. I mean, there were professionals at torture. They were known for mastering techniques of cruelty and war and uh, torture. I mean, they, they're, they're kind of like... They're like M.O., the thing they're, they're known for was skinning people alive, right? So it's like crazy. This is a place of great evil and danger. And so to equate Las Vegas to Nineveh doesn't equate the full, like, it's not the equivalent to what God's calling Jonah to. Does that make sense? Like, it, it's not the fullness of it, it's not the full extent, right? Because if you were to go to Las Vegas today and preach the gospel, like, you might be laughed at, like, you might look different than other people or whatever, but you're not facing the threat of death, right? But for Jonah to accept a call from God to go to Nineveh would be basically like knowing he's going to die, you know, in some ways, or, or, or like the, at least the threat of death. And so uh, Nineveh, in today's context, maybe even more accurately, would be a lot more like ISIS in Iraq, right? This, this, um, this, this group of people, right? You're not just risking embarrassment. You're risking your life. And uh, so God's calling Jonah to go to a sinful, dangerous enemy country with a message. And what is that message? Well, the end of verse 2 tells us. God says, call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. All right, so here's your job description. You ready? Uh, I want you to book a plane ticket, uh, fly over to Iraq... Um, like rally up all the people from ISIS. Just like, just that's probably pretty easy, you know. Get them together, and then uh, hand out WWJD bracelets. They're gonna like those. I'll put those on. Really enjoy that. Give them Bibles. Oh, make sure to mention that uh, that their wrath is coming, and they're committed evil, and Allah isn't true, and Jesus is the only way to God. Like, just mention that. You know, it's like that'd be crazy, right? You know, if I heard that, I'd be like, Hey, God, uh, man, thanks for speaking to me. I think I misheard yet? Pretty sure. It sound you know. It sounded like you said to go to your enemies and tell them to turn and repent and turn away from their sins. But that probably what what you'd be saying. Yeah, it is. Like, this is a crazy invitation, a crazy call from God that He would do this. See, Jonah's first mission was to bring good news to his nation, but now God calls him to bring hard news to his nation's enemy. You see the difference between those two? And and, in City Light, here's what I don't want us to miss. We can get so caught up in Jonah's response that we overlook the beauty of God's pursuing of his enemies right like don't miss God pursuing his enemies in this story Nineveh has done nothing Nineveh in the series have literally opposed God and opposed God's people they've done nothing to merit a warning from God they've done they haven't gotten better or showed some promise they haven't started coming to church or praying or whatever no the Ninevites have gotten to a place of hopelessness running away from God right wanting nothing to do with him God would be 100% just to just wipe them off the face of the earth they deserve to punish be punished for their evil and for their sins and yet God pursues them. It's beautiful. Like, don't don't miss that. God wants to send them a messenger to warn them from the path they're headed. God wants to send them a messenger to tell them about his mercy and his love and his grace. Isn't our God amazing? City Light? A God that would love his enemies? A God that would love and enjoy to show mercy? And I don't want us to miss it. Uh, When Jesus calls us to love our enemies in Matthew 5, this isn't a new idea, like all throughout the Bible, God has been loving his enemies and pursuing his enemies. And so we love that, right? It's good news. But at the same time, we, we, we operate so differently than God. Like we, we don't like that idea. It's so difficult for us. We don't want to love our enemies. We don't want to pray for our enemies. We want our enemies to get what they deserve, right? They've hurt us. They've punished whatever. We want them to be punished for it. But God isn't just calling Jonah to extend mercy to his enemies. He's calling us to do the same. Right to go and to care for our enemies. Micah 6.8 calls us to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God, to give what we've been given, to extend what we've experienced. And so to show mercy to Nineveh, he calls a man named Jonah to go. So let's look at how Jonah responds. Let's look at verse 3 together. Verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paired the fair and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So, my first point was that God says go. My second point is that Jonah said no. Uh, now, our new Jonah hears the voice of the Lord and goes the opposite direction, right? And so, to kind of help understand this verse, I just want to help us. Uh, we're going to answer two questions uh, Where did Jonah go? And why did he say no? So that's the subpoints for this last point. And so the first question, where did Jonah go? Now, I've got a map to show these three locations. Uh, here's Joppa right here. This is where uh, Jonah around, like, about where he was. And this is Nineveh to the northeast, right? 550 miles up there. God says, hey, go there. Do goes t- 2,500 miles, like, in the opposite direction, Right? Like, you know, he did, dude, dude didn't just, like, be lazy and stay in Joppa. Like, he went the other direction, okay? So this is crazy, but disobedience is simply saying no to God, right? God says, hey, Jonah, go to Nineveh and just give them one sentence. Like, that's it. Not too crazy, one sentence. And Jonah says no. And so by means of understanding what disobedience is and kind of getting in this, there's two ways to disobey. There's two forms of disobedience. And the first is direct disobedience, direct disobedience. Now, this is saying no. Like, that's what Jonah did, right? Calls him to do something, and he just says no. And so, for an example, say you're walking into the church, and you see someone sitting by themselves, and they look a little bit down, like kind of a hard day, and you feel like God's putting it on your heart. Hey, you need to go talk to them. Like, maybe sit by them today, and you're like, uh, I mean, I, I like my favorite spot and was trying to secure my favorite spot in the front row. You know, that's kind of my, my thing. And I, I got my Krispy Kreme in this hand and my coffee. In, so yeah, I'm just going to walk on by. You know, like, like that's like direct disobedience where we, 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 we would uh, see an opportunity that God's put in front of us and called us to it. And we just simply say no, right? That's what it is. And the hard part in, rela- in us relating to Jonah's story is that we don't normally go the opposite direction, right? Like, like. So imagine God says, hey, I want you to go reach your neighbors, and we're just like, oh gosh, and so we list our house on Zillow, we sell it, we move to a different neighborhood. You know, like, we don't do that. You'd be like, that's crazy. It's kind of what Jonah did, but nonetheless, it's crazy, and so uh, we don't normally do that. Our disobedience is a lot more subtle, right? It's a lot more sneaky and kind of covert and kind of under the radar, and I think the danger we face is a growing indifference and apathy towards the, the mission of God. Towards the call of God, right? So over time, after saying no enough to God, we can kind of just—it just kind of becomes normal to us. We can become callous to the offense that we're committing. And so, let me give you an example. My wife and I moved into our neighborhood uh, about a year ago, and you know how it is with a new neighborhood or a new job or school or any transition. You're like. You're, you have like high hopes and dreams, right? And I'm coming in, I'm like, man, I'm gonna know every single neighbor and I'm gonna know their middle names and I'm gonna know their kids' names and their dogs. I'm gonna even be treats to their dogs. The dogs are gonna love me, you know? I'm just like, I'm gonna do this. For We're gonna have them over for dinner. We're gonna throw parties and they're just gonna know they can come to the Edwards house and all this stuff. It's just gonna be great. And, uh, and, and, you, you, and then if anyone doesn't know Jesus, y'all better believe three months, they're you gonna know Jesus, you know? Like we just, you know, you kind of come in with that expectation. And I distinctively remember the first time that I uh, was driving home and saw my neighbor like just so perfectly, not a believer, saw my neighbor uh, watering his lawn and just felt like I was like, hey, you need to go talk to him. And I just like drove right up my driveway and right into my garage and just closed it. And I remember feeling so bad because I felt like God was calling me to do this. And I just said, no, I just closed the garage for whatever reason. I was hungry. or want to see... Kristen and Grayson. I don't know, but I said no, and I felt so bad, and then a week or two later, same instance. I mean, watering lawn, so perfect. God, hey, this is your opportunity. Go, and I don't, and I pull in the garage, and I felt bad about it, but I didn't quite feel as bad as I did the first time, and then now it's just kind of become like a habit, you know? Like, it's just normal for me to pull into my garage and just walk right in the house. Have you ever had that happen to you where it's like, you know, after just committing a sin or doing something for, or saying no so much, you just kind of it just becomes normal. Like it, you don't feel bad about it anymore. I mean, examples is this, is this purity? Like you're in a dating relationship with a person, or you're not married yet, and you're like, "No, Jesus is calling us to you know wait to have sex until marriage or stay pure before marriage." But but then you you mess up and you go a little bit far, and you're like, "Man, we feel bad about that. Why do we fall into that?" Well, let's not do it. And then it happens again, and then it happens again, and over time, it's just kind of the normal. It's just kind of like we don't really feel bad about it, and now we're living together and now we're not convicted. Like, whatever. You know, just, you can do that with anything. You come to City Light the first time, there's a giving kind of call. Hey, if you're part of our church, would you consider giving to our church to make Jesus famous? And you're like, I don't have my wallet on me this week. I don't have my budget set, so I'm not gonna give. And then you don't revisit it. And over time, you just don't feel bad about it. I mean, all these things come in where we are just we just grow callous to conviction because we've said no so many times. Does that make sense? You tracking with me? Like, I, there's so many examples of how that's played out, but this, this is the result of consistent disobedience. Um and apathy towards breaking the command of God. And, uh, and so I want us to notice that Jonah didn't just run away from God, but he ran to something else. In other words, in disobedience, he didn't just say no to God. He said yes to something else, right? Which is what we do when we run from God. That's our sin. We don't just say no to God. We say yes to something else. And, and I spent time this week thinking, hey, what, where is my Nineveh, right? And where is my Tarshish? Like, in other words, you know, for my Nineveh, like, where are areas in my life that I'm clearly saying no to God? Like, where he's calling me, I'm just, no. Where, who are people in my life that I'm just unwilling to go, not loving, not going to, not showing grace or mercy? Like, who is that? And, and where's my Nineveh, right? Where, and that kind of seems like the standard response question to this book, right? Everyone's like, where is your Nineveh? Where are you unwilling to go? God wants to call you there. Like, And that's part of it, and that's really good, but you can't miss asking where your Tarshish is either right like like where are you running to if you're not running to God what um what, what are you seeking satisfaction in if you're not finding satisfaction in Jesus like we've got to ask where are we running if we're not running to God because you're running somewhere you're worshiping something if you're not worshiping God like we just do that right and um and, and, and so you've got to and i just realized we run to comfort we run to food, we run to temporary satisfactions, we run to busyness, we run to success, we run to repro- approval, so many things other than God. Like, that's the, temp- that's the temptation. And, and you've got to wonder, what, what about Tarshish made it so appealing for Jonah to want to go there? And I mean, ultimately, the text doesn't tell us, So we don't find it in these verses of, of why, but we do know that it was a long ways away, right? It was really far away from the call of God. And then in verse 3, it says that he was trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. So maybe Jonah's thinking, gosh, if I can get far enough away from God, then maybe I won't hear his voice anymore. If I can distance myself from godly community and godly people, maybe I won't feel bad about not following his commands anymore. Maybe, I, I don't know. And I, and I just realized, oh my gosh, I, we, we do this all the time. Like, I do this all the time, like fleeing the presence of the Lord, fleeing his conviction or whatever that might be. And, and I think that one of the primary way we do this is that we flee from God by drowning out his voice with other noises. Does that make sense? Like, we're, we're so, and so uh, we, we binge watch Netflix for hours, right? Like, we play video games all the time. Fortnite, I'm calling you out, guys, you know, and girls, like, like. Some of y'all are like, dang it, you can go to this. Don't touch Fortnite. You know, don't go there right now, preacher, right? But anyway, no, we just pour ourselves into, into all these things. We pack our schedules with busyness. We, we get as much sleep as we can. We jump to our to-do list. We, we watch a ton of sports. We are constantly on our phones, scrolling through social media, going on Amazon, seeing the next thing we can buy or upgrade. We pour ourselves into our work. Listen, we are intentionally busy so that we don't have to think about anything. We're intentionally busy so we, we can avoid and numb convictions, right? It's just like, I want to pack my schedule so I don't have to think about that or go there. So City Light, just because you maybe haven't physically ran in the op- opposite direction of God, you are guilty of running from God. And you've ran to something else, right? This is di- direct disobedience simply saying no. That's direct disobedience. The second way we disobey is delayed disobedience, right? And this is, this is tricky, and this is tough. But this isn't just saying no to God. This is saying not yet, right, or, or, or not now. And so, the, uh, example, you walk through the church, you know, you see someone sitting by themselves, you think, man, I should probably talk to them. They look a little bit down. God kind of compels you, hey, you should, you should go. And so you're like, man, I feel it in my heart, but I don't know. And then you're just thinking, ah, you know, I got everything going on. I'm just, I bet they'll be there next week, and I'll talk to them next week, right? It's like, hey, I'm not going to, I'm... You know, it's like this kind of religious mask on it where I'm not going to do that yet. I mean, I'll do it later, but not now, right? We're so guilty of this. And uh, Jonah was directly disobedient, right? He just clearly said no. But if you were to have delayed disobedience, it would have been like God coming to him saying, hey, Jonah, go to Nineveh. And he just says, well, I got to figure some things out and I'll go next month. That's delayed disobedience. And um, I'd argue, civilite, that this is what we do more often, right? This is what we are so prone to. And so we don't move neighborhoods, because God called us to share the gospel with our neighbors, we just pull into our garage every day or or our driveway or whatever and convince ourselves that we're going to talk to them next week, right? It's okay. And then next week we say the same thing, and it goes over and over and over again. I'll just say um, delayed disobedience is believing the lie of the next time. Delayed disobedience is believing the lie of the next time. And so, man, the next time I see that person, I'll share the gospel with them. The next time that I have my family reunion, I'll be a little more bold and pray before dinner and I'll be a little more bold about my, my relationship with Jesus. The, the, um, the next pay raise I get, then, then I'll start giving to God's church and giving generously. The, the next week, that's when I'll come to Citigroup. Like I know I haven't been in a while, but next week I'm gonna come to Citigroup. The next time we hang out, I'm going to establish boundaries and put my foot down. We're not going to fall into the sin anymore. Next week, I'll start waking up early and reading my Bible. The next time I fall into that sin, I'm going to tell someone about it, but I'm probably not going to do that again. You know, Next time, I'll tell someone about it. Next time I see that person I shouldn't be dating, I'm going to finally break up with them and put an end to this relationship. The next time that happens, I'm going to do something about it. Right? We're just so prone to believe that lie of the next time when we say it, or, or we believe the lie that I'm going to do that when, right? I'm going to stop looking at pornography when I get married. I'm going to, uh, when, when, I, when I get a bigger house, that's when I'm going to start hosting people over. When I, fi- when I get my finances in order, that's when I'm going to start to give. Um, when I retire and I have more time, I'm going to start to invest in people. This is the sneakiest way to disobey God, and we are so guilty of it. I am so guilty of it. Right? We don't directly say no to him. We just say not yet. But City Light, if it's delayed, it's not obedience. It's sin, right? And every single one of us are guilty of that. And the other way I've seen this play out in my life is by skipping certain convictions and tackling something different. And so he, here's what I mean by that. Like, like God addresses something in our hearts or puts kind of a conviction in our hearts, and we're like, man, I don't want to go there, God. So not yet. I'm going to jump to something different. So God's like, hey, we're just thinking, man, I don't, I don't even want to think about forgiving that person. Like, that's not even on my... I don't even want to go there. And so I'm just going to pour myself out into my neighborhood and help out with stuff. Or we think, I don't even want to think about being involved in community and actually being known by people or getting plugged into a city group. So I'm just going to memorize more verses in my Bible. Like, we're, we're, it is so easy. We just want to skip conviction and we'll passively say no to God and say yes to something more convenient, something that fits our schedule better or is a little easier to tackle. And did you notice, by the way, in this... That there just so happened to be a ship conveniently wanting to go to Tarshish the same time that Jonah went down to go to Tarshish, and he just happened to have enough money to go. Like this this isn't like America or whatever, like they, they didn't have ships going to Tarshish every single day. Like this was a rare occasion. It just so happened that when he went down, it was there and it was taking him to go. And so City Light, hear me when I say this. Ship after ship is waiting at the port of disobedience willing and ready to take you away from the presence of the Lord. They will always be there. There will always be a way out. There will always be a temptation to say, well, that's pretty convenient. I mean, I could go there, right? Ship after ship is waiting to take you away from the call of God. City light, like Jonah, we're all prone to disobedience. Every single one of us, we run away from God in so many ways. Whether it's directly saying no to God or it's telling Him not yet, we have all failed at saying yes to what God has called us into. Right, and so where did Jonah go? First question: away from God into Tarshish. Now, the second question we have to answer is why did Jonah say no? All right, we know where he went, but uh, why did Jonah say no? Now, our verses don't give us specific answers to this question, like reasons, but from within context and the rest of the book, we can conclude there's probably three primary reasons Jonah said no. And the first reason is danger, right? Danger. So remember, uh, Nineveh is like modern-day ISIS. So they're brutal. They are desensitized to their sin. They're desensitized to murder or whatever. I mean, two years ago, ISIS literally beheaded 21 Egyptian Christians, Like, that's how real this is. So not very many people are, like, raising their hands and saying, yeah, send me to Iraq, God, so I can go minister to ISIS and tell them about Jesus. Like, it's not happening very often, if at all. And for Jonah to go to Nineveh would be understanding that he'd likely die. Like, that would be the cost. But City Light, that's not a reason to stay. It's a reason to go right? The fact that to know that there are places all around the world that are hostile towards the gospel, towards Jesus and his name and his beauty and his good news is not a reason to stay. It's a reason to go. To know that there are diseases plaguing people, tsunamis, earthquakes, apparent danger in these other places is not a reason to stay. It's a reason to go. And so here's what Jonah is communicating by not going to Nineveh. My life is more important than theirs. My comfort is is more important to me than you knowing God, right? And, 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 and I'm not going to risk my life to offer them true life. And listen, every time we choose not to share the gospel, that's essentially what we're doing, right? And the reality is we're not even risking our life. Like, the most of the time, like, we don't share the gospel, not because we don't want to risk our life, but because we don't want to risk our reputation. We're just thinking, I, no, I don't want to be known as that. I, I, wanna, I just want to look cool and calm and collected, No I don't want to bring up hard stuff. We're not risking our lives, we just don't want to risk our reputation. Jonah chose protection over proclamation. And listen, if you want to go to dark, dangerous places in the world, places like North Africa and South Asia and all kind of throughout this this window, it's going to involve danger and it's going to be risky, but I'm telling you the only comfort you have, you and I have in going to those places is the sovereignty of God believing that he's good and he's in control and he'll do whatever he wants to do. George Whitfield said, we are immortal until our work on earth is done. Meaning God's ultimately in control. If you go to this crazy, dangerous place for the gospel, they cannot kill you until Jesus would allow that to happen. Like, you know, I mean, any of those things, like it's all in the parameter of God's sovereignty and in his control. And so like the story of Jonah going where God calls us to go will always involve some degree of risk and some degree of danger. Like, it just will. And so what is it for you? Like, what's holding you back? What's holding us back from being more bold about Jesus, more bold about the gospel? Maybe, you're, um, maybe you just don't uh, want to risk future promotions at your job Maybe you don't want to risk developing relationships in your job because you don't want to be pegged as the weird Jesus person. Maybe, um, maybe you just don't want to be known as that person in your neighborhood so no one talks to you or invites you into things because they know you're going to bring up Jesus. Maybe you don't want to um, uh, risk looking unintelligent because you don't know all the answers. I don't know, but whatever is holding you back from sharing the gospel, whatever, is, um, uh, whatever price you're not willing to pay in order to share Jesus with someone else, whatever that is, it's ultimately nothing compared to what they will pay if they don't know jesus like i'd argue that the one of the primary reasons we're apathetic towards talking about jesus to people one of the primary reasons we're unmotivated to talk about jesus to people is because we don't understand what hell is like jesus says the fire in hell never stops Like like there's this gnashing of teeth and constant weeping and total darkness and total separation from anything good, total separation from God. Hell isn't just not getting heaven. Hell is getting eternal punishment, right? And, and, And Jesus doesn't tell us this or describe it this way so that we're scared of it. Jesus says that so that we're motivated to see that the stakes are high, and there are people all over Lincoln, Nebraska that you work with and, 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 and go to school with and live next to you that don't know Jesus. People that have actually never heard the true gospel, the actual expanse of the gospel. And God has placed you specifically and intentionally by them all over Lincoln. And on a grander scale, a third of the world's population has zero access to the gospel. A third of it. It was like two or three billion people don't have any access to the good news that Jesus came for them so they might have eternal life with him and be brought to him. And I was in Cambodia last month. There are 14,000 villages in Cambodia and only a quarter of them have access to... uh, the gospel, right? So three-quarters of them don't have a Bible in their language, don't have people to talk to them. They don't know a Christian. They don't have a church or anything like that. So that means that over 10,000 villages that are packed full of people will be born and live and die without ever hearing the gospel unless someone like Jonah is called to go out of their comfort zone and go to them. That's the reality, Like it's, it's, who cares if people think I'm weird? I'd be willing to risk my reputation so I don't have to risk someone else's eternal destiny. Who cares? I'll suffer here on earth so they don't have to suffer in hell. City like the stakes are high. And Jesus makes it clear and he's given you the message and he's given you the means and he's put you in proximity to people all over here in Lincoln and abroad. He's brought people from Iraq and all over into Lincoln and we have the opportunity to minister to them. What's holding us back? What's holding us back from doing that. There are dangers in sharing the gospel, but I promise you, it is worth it. Jonah considered the danger that he would face more important than the danger that they could face eternally. And may that not be our story, City Light. So the first reason is danger. The second reason why is ethnocentrism. I know that's a bigger word. I just learned how to spell it this week. But ethnocentrism. Uh, Ethnocentrism is essentially counting our image more important than God's image. Okay, ethnocentrism is believing that your, uh, your race, your ethnicity, your uh, culture, your people group is more valuable or more superior than another. And so track with me, back in Second Kings 14, uh, God gave Jonah a message, and Jonah faithfully relayed it to people, but he's not willing to relay this message to this people. Well, what changed? The message was probably around the same, but the recipients changed, right? The people that he would go to. And so in Jonah 4 uh, 2, Jonah says that he fled Tarshish, or fled to Tarshish, because he knew that God was merciful and gracious. Okay? So in other words, Jonah wasn't only afraid of danger, he was afraid that God would forgive people that he didn't like right? This is huge for us to wrestle with in the room, especially in our culture today, especially in America with everything going on. This is huge for us to understand and for Jesus to kill ethnocentrism in our church, for Jesus to kill through his gospel this idea that one certain type of people or color or whatever is more superior than another. No, it's not. Jonah wanted to keep grace to himself. He wanted to keep God to himself. God commanded Jonah to go to Israel's enemy and give them an opportunity to repent, and Jonah thought it would be better for them just to be destroyed, just to stay in their sin, right? Jonah's narrow patriotism um, was counted more important than his theology, right? So Jonah loved his people more than he loved other people knowing God. You get that? That's the contrast that's happening. And so Philippians 3.20 says that our citizenship is in heaven. So here's what that means. You're primarily identified not by what country you were born in. You're primarily identified not by what color of skin you have. You're primarily identified not by your ethnicity or your political party. You are primarily identified with heaven right? God's nation, his people, a new nation. And by the way, this nation, this people group, this heaven includes all different types of people, right? All different types of colors and languages and people and nations and colors and ethnicities. And in Genesis 12, God promises Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Why? So you can be a blessing to yourself? No. So you can be a blessing to the whole nation, to every nation. God has always, from the very beginning, been about blessing all people and calling us to love people that look and act and think and believe differently than us. That's been what God has done. And Jonah 2.9 is one of the key verses in this book, and it says, Salvation belongs to the Lord. City Light, salvation doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me You don't get to decide who God saves or who he doesn't save. You don't get a say in who he invites into his kingdom. No, salvation belongs to the Lord. God will give salvation to whoever he wants, even the people that we think are unworthy. And that's amazing news because we are unworthy, right? The fact that we're invited in. So if you think, if you're angry that God's inviting unworthy people into his kingdom and you have a problem with that, well, then you don't get salvation because you're unworthy, right? You don't understand the epitome of the gospel, Ethnocentrism is one of the reasons he stayed or, or fled away. And the last reason that Jonah, didn't, or that Jonah said no was ingratitude. So whether it was danger or ethnocentrism, somewhere along the way, Jonah stopped thinking that being used by God was a privilege. Right Somewhere along the way, Jonah perceived the mission of God as a burden. He no longer thought it was a joy to be used. For all intents and purposes, Jonah is running from grace. Right? He's lost sight that it's God's grace that would want to use him. He's he's lost the beautiful fact that God not only loves him but wants to use him to spread his love to other people in City. Life, I just have to ask, have we turned the mission of God into a burden? And I'm just I'm answer it for us, answer it for myself. Yes, we have. Like, if you're hearing this and, and, the, and kind of the thought is like, man, I just need to share, I'm just, I so suck, I just need to share the gospel better and all this stuff. Oh, it's going to really stink. Maybe I need to talk to my neighbors now. I'm convinced. It's not the point. Like that, that, That's a burden response, right? The, 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 the response should be it's a joy to go, right? It's a joy that God would want to use you. It's a joy that God would want to call you to not just invite a broken, messy person into his kingdom. He want to invite a broken, mess, broken, messy person into inviting more people into his kingdom, right? It's grace that God wanted to use Jonah, and it's grace that God wanted to use you. Would we see it as a privilege, We do not see it as a burden or as some obligation, but as a joy and a privilege to talk about Jesus to the world. Now, City Lot, the danger we face in reading this book throughout the rest seven or eight weeks is, is kind of hunkering down and saying, man, I can't be like Jonah. I need to be better than Jonah. I need to do better than Jonah. But that's not the point. You are Jonah. You and I are Jonah, right? We run from God. We rebel from his ways. We withhold grace in the gospel. We often think we're better than other people, right? We hoard God's love rather than heralding it out to other people. We are so much like Jonah. Oh, and by the way, you're also, we are also a lot like Nineveh. We've committed evil, we've ran away, we've done all these things, we've committed sin, we haven't loved God perfectly, we haven't done any of these things, and yet God in his mercy sent someone for us, right? The point of Jonah is not that we need to be, a better, be better than Jonah, the point is that we have a better Jonah, right? Our only hope is that Jesus did for us what Jonah and ourselves wouldn't do and couldn't do, right? Jesus came to us, not reluctantly, but joyfully, And Jesus left everything. He left and paid absolutely everything, right? Heaven for earth. The glory of of angels singing for scoffers' shouts, right? A glorious throne for a bloody cross. a, A beautiful crown for a crown of thorns. Jesus left it all. Do you see it, City Light? Jesus is the better Jonah who came to us, who showed us mercy, who loved us when we didn't deserve it, who came and loved his enemies. See, Jonah ran from his enemies, and Jesus ran towards them. Jonah chose self-preservation, and Jesus chose a sacrificial death. See, Jonah was a sinner who ran from God, and Jesus is the God who runs towards sinners. Amen? Do you see the gospel in this story, the beautiful reality that we have a better Jonah? The point of the story is not that we need to be better than Jonah, but that we have a better Jonah, Jesus Christ. This is our hope. This is our joy. And it cost Jesus everything for us to be reconciled to God. And friends, it should cost us to display that message to other people. It should be costly. And if the cross of Jesus shows us something, it's that the road to Nineveh is hard, but it is absolutely worth it. Jesus is why we go to people in places that we don't want to go. Jesus is our motivation. And so the word of the Lord came to City Light Lincoln Church. Arise and go to people and places that don't look like you, act like you, think like you, behave like you, or believe what you believe because you feel burdened? Because it's an obligation? No. Because Jesus did that and so much more. Amen? So the question is, are we going to be indifferent about people perishing without the gospel, or are we going to be inspired by the gospel of Jesus to go when it's uncomfortable and it's dangerous and it's inconvenient and it's, uh, yeah, uncomfortable. What, what will we do? City lot. Let's love like Jesus. Amen. Let's pray.